This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. And I'm not going to kind of give away what we're trying to do, but, you know, our big thing is kind of prepare for every scenario. You know, if he doesn't move as well, you know, try to do these things. And if he's, he looks like he's moving pretty well, then we have to adjust to, to some other parts of the game plan. Rich Gannon in about 15 minutes. It's the Mackey and Judd unofficial official football hour here. So football. Matthew Collar's in the house, just fresh off taking in Vikings practice today. More football. Yes. Okay, so, so much football about to happen. Here's right how now. much I've footballed in the last 24 hours. <clears throat> so last night I watched the a football life about Christian Okoye. Football. Oh, I love That's Christian. Really good. Man, he oh. was my all-time favorite Tecmo Super Bowl running back. Yeah, impossible yeah. to tackle. Yep. When he had the excellent uh, injury status. And in real life, impossible to tackle. I had a ton of his football cards growing up, and I stumbled across that because I was watching so much game tape on the All-22, the Game Pass thing. There's options to watch, like old hard knocks, old football lives. So when I take a break from working, I'll watch a football life. For football. So I watched the game tape yesterday, wrote a couple articles off that, watched Christian Okoye, then this morning talked to our friend Sage Rosenfels for a podcast, and then talked to my online guy about what uh, Pat Elfline's impact could be if he comes oh. back this week. Do so, you, instead of just having you know normal toiletries and soap and shampoo, do you just have footballs in your shower? Uh, no. No, I shower. Okay. Yeah, just, that's, just that's the one area just, just that I would say. That's a really gross thought. <laughs> Mostly football-free. <laughs> that's a really, really gross thought. So how much, we'd love to get the vibe of, okay, the Aaron Rodgers is going to play. Let's let's be honest. Let's, unless they have to saw his leg off. And even then, I think he'll try to play. But if you're Rodgers, in a year ago, you had this season-ending hit, mm-hmm. and you've You've marked this date on your calendar, going back into that stadium against that defense, and you know he wants to stick it to the Vikings and throw for 300 and mm-hmm. and beat them inside their own home, and now he's hobbled, right? This is a really interesting next few days, and Sunday is going to be compelling just based on how much can he move. Uh, even if even if he's at 100%, I still wouldn't pass put it past a Mike Zimmer defense to stifle him, as has happened a lot in the past. What's your read? There are certain guys who just seem to love when everything is against them, and I think Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys. Like when they were down, I forget what their record was, when he did the R-E-L-A-X, and then they won eight games in a row. I think that was the same year to get into the playoffs. They end up beating Dallas on his insane draw it up in the dirt and run around there like a you know old-school backyard quarterback type of play. 
he, I think he thrives off of something like that. The other night we saw it against the Bears of, oh, this is an opportunity for me to go legend, so I'm going legend. And it would be the same thing here of playing the Vikings, trying to get revenge on Anthony Barr for hurting him last year and knocking out any chances they had to go to the playoffs by losing him. And then if he was able to start the season 2-0 and against two division opponents with half a leg, that would be really crazy. So you think that not only is he going to play, but he's probably going to turn it up to 11 too, as far as his focus, motivation, and all those things, that it's going to go even higher. So if you're the Vikings, you kind of hate this. You're like, this is the last thing that we wanted, is for him to have something else going on that he has to overcome because he seems like he's even better when he has to do that. The guy I feel bad for going into uh, Sunday's game is Tony Corrente, who is going to be the head referee for that game. Because here's my question, and I, I talked about this before, but Matthew, how do you, if you're the Vikings and you get pressure on a on a guy who basically can't move, but had a rule made up that's in place because of him, <laughs> yeah, how do you sack him? Because this and this rule, this new rule is going to be a complete pain in the ass. Because if I'm Tony Corrani and I see you put 91 percent of your body weight on on Rogers. I'm supposed to throw a flag, and the rule is for him. So that's the one thing. I mean, this defense could get pressure, and until everyone stands up and there's not a flag on the field, you're not quite sure that that pressure is not going to result in a 15-yard gain for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, even Sheldon Richardson got one last week, and, and when he talked after the game, he said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do there. You know, I took the step. I made a perfect textbook tackle i didn't drive the guy into the ground i just took him down and i got the flag and there still is some of that now i feel like the whole uh, armageddon of penalties did not happen what everybody was worried about after two weeks of preseason we didn't see that in week one where everything was getting penalized and games were taking four hours or anything like that but hitting the quarterback is a major factor when they go into this game talking about how they're going to pressure him, how they're going to sack him if they get that opportunity. And and those are usually things you can't really plan for. I mean, it's right. you, you blow through the line and you just heave at the guy because you got to do everything you possibly can. Now, one thing they did against Jimmy Garoppolo that they'll try to do again, they really disrupted him with pressure. I mean, Sheldon Richardson was a monster. And I chuckled to myself a bit that Harrison Smith won Defensive Player of the Week when I thought Sheldon Richardson was the best player on the field of anybody. In that first week, he was completely dominant and he didn't get a sack, but he just threw off Jimmy Garoppolo on a consistent basis by slamming his guard back five feet right off the line of scrimmage, getting in his face and chasing him down. I think that that's going to be kind of their goal. And then if you sack him, you try not to hurt him, I guess. I mean, I don't that's really like, know. But I, and I get it. If Aaron Rodgers is not the biggest guy, so you should. if, if you're a 300-pound nose tackle or a 260-pound defensive end with muscles on top of muscles, you should be able to take him down without having to ride him all the way yeah. you know, with your feet in the air. <laughs> but what if it's Ben Roethlisberger? Or you're, you're trying to tackle yeah. Cam Newton... And because on the Richardson sack, when they showed it in slow mo, and again, like that's the benefit we all get. And when they're creating new rules, they're watching in super slow mo and trying to figure out, okay, well, could he have kept his feet on the ground and rolled off to the side? It's like they're moving 100 miles an hour. His feet came off the ground upon impact. So it looked like he mm-hmm. jumped off the ground and rode the quarterback into the ground. But if that's Cam Newton 
and he's also 250 pounds, how are you supposed to tackle him if you don't put some leverage behind it, right? Well, I think so, that uh, Daniil Hunter laid out the best way you can sack a quarterback in the preseason when he grabbed Blake Bortles with one arm and just guided him slowly. Well, that's to the, the thing, though. You can't you can't <laughs> ragdoll him. You've got to guide him because if you ragdoll you him, him, that's yep. a penalty. You yeah. can't shake him. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, by the way, and this is the thing where the Vikings do have an advantage in this game, that Everson Griffin, who didn't practice much the preseason, looked fantastic. And uh, Daniil Hunter, he looks to me, he did in preseason, we said this at the end of the preseason, we could say it again here, he looks to me like he could have 15 sacks this year and take that next step toward being one of the elite players at his position. First couple of years of his career, he's shown flashes of that, as a situational player before and then as a full-time player last year where he's been very good. But now it seems like he's really coming into his own where he could get mentioned in the same category as someone like Griffin, Vaughn Miller, Khalil Mack. That's kind of the early indications of this season. And if that's the case and he goes to Lambeau and plays the way he has in the preseason in week one, then the Vikings have a, a really good chance of throwing Rodgers off in this game. What, what's your take on the Packers' de- defense? I mean, we had um, Dom Capers there for a thousand years. Petten has now come in and definitely changed things. They brought a couple guys back. Is this is this a now, how can I put this kindly for them, a functional defense as opposed to what we got to see by last year, which Your was obligation not functional? to put it nicely for them is definitely not needed. You can call that garbage fire what it's been for the majority no, of No, I'm saying I think, I, think now it's fun- I think now it might be functional, though. Last year, by it became, it was okay or good, actually, for a while and became garbage. I think that they have increased their talent quite a bit, and I think that they have now gotten themselves to 2018. It feels very much like when Norv left and Pat Trimmer took over, and we went, ah, yes, breathe in the modern air of this offense. <laughs> and Norv's like, no, no, yeah, right, I like right. my offense. I, I it's, like, it's, it's like when you had Technicolor TVs at hotels right. for the first right. time. It's right. amazing. Yeah, instead of just the the like straight drop back from uh, Warren Moon or something, now we are into the, uh, you know, the... Is Teddy Bridgewater age. still dropping back on that fourth quarter play in Arizona on Thursday night? Just, this yeah. is a 43-step drop, actually. It, it's got to be the same exact feeling of like when the Packers played... Uh, the Falcons in the playoffs, and it was just like their defense had no shot. And and Kyle Shanahan, as you saw, ha- is really clever, so I understand why that Atlanta team lit them up so badly, but they couldn't stop anybody. They couldn't stop Dak Prescott in the playoffs either, and Rodgers had to pull off a miracle there. I mean, now you see, and Mike Zimmer talked about it today, multiple different coverages and things like that. Like, imagine, ima- that. imagine right? Like, multiple coverages. But that's how everything works these days. That, you know, one half of the field might be one coverage, another might be another coverage, and blitzes coming from all different places. But the biggest factor in any win or loss ever is talent. And they increased their talent significantly when they got the two corners, uh, Jackson and Alexander, I think, are good players. And Muhammad Wilkerson, that if he goes back, like Sheldon Richardson did a little bit, but if he goes back to what he was a couple years ago, this guy's a monster, and they already have two guys on the inside, Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, who are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, uh, by the way, for just programming note, Vikings Vent Line is now expanded to pregame as well. So if you guys want to call in, it's going to be a combination of Manny Hill, Judd, myself, Matthew Collar is going to hang out on Ventline uh, from time to time. But that's going to start an hour before Vikings kickoff. And then 
regular postgame vent line as scheduled. And also a new addition to our Vikings game day lineup. 10 o'clock for noon kickoffs. 10 o'clock is a best of purple podcast from the week. So I know Sage Rosenfels is a regular fixture. Just, just you guys, you've had, you've had him on twice now this week. What's, uh, what should people go find on the interwebs when uh, they're looking for good Vikings purple podcast content? Well, I haven't posted it yet, but this is something to look for if you subscribe to the purple podcast that Sage told an awesome story about Brett Favre's return to Lambeau. And I won't ruin the whole thing, but the best part of it was that Sage, when they jogged down in the field, the Vikings in 09, he tried to stay real close to Brett because he wanted to be in the pictures with Brett Favre going back. <laughs> That's into, amazing. But, but not, for, not really for any other reason, <laughs> just to remember that he was there. And he said that in his office, he uh, has a picture of himself and Brett <laughs> jogging out on the Lambeau Field. And the most thunderous booze I've heard in my entire life, and I'm not joking. Yeah. So go check out Purple Podcast. Kyler's hanging out with us for the hour. Rich Gannon is going to join when we come back to talk Vikings Week 1 and going into uh, this matchup against the Packers. But Judd, fire away here. Yep, first it's time to talk to me. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. Quick look at your traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios at 1500 ESPN. At 94 westbound, we got a crash that's causing a bit of a delay between Cedar Avenue and 55. So if you're headed westbound on 94, be on the lookout for that, delaying things by about uh, 19 minutes. Also, uh, 94 eastbound near St. Paul uh, at Highway 52, about a 10-minute delay there. Uh, due to a crash in that area as well. Gentlemen. All right. Thank you, Manny. It's Mackie and Judd. Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast is hanging out. It's the uh, the football hour here in the 5 o'clock hour. And a guy who played football at an MVP level, Rich Gannon, <laughs> weekly guest on the show. Rich, uh, thanks for joining again. Question for you about contentious rivalries that you played in. We're trying to figure out if this Packers-Vikings rivalry might turn contentious because of what happened last year with the Anthony Barr hit on Rodgers. What's the most contentious rivalry you can remember being involved with in your career? You know, there's so many good ones, guys. Uh, Certainly I was a part of the Vikings-Packers. I think, you know, when I was playing, the Packers weren't quite as good and you know, initially they didn't have Brett Favre, and so I think a lot of it has to do with the personalities and the playmakers and and, and the guys that kind of make up uh, the, the rivalry. But I, that was a big one. I think when I went to Kansas City, Kansas City, Oakland was a big one. I played for the Redskins for a year. I know the Redskins, Cowboys is a big one. So I mean, there's a lot of good ones. But look, the Packers. You think about the Packers and the Vikings and all the the great games that they've had outdoors at Lambeau or down in Milwaukee, and of course, you, know, you think back to the Met and the Metrodome, and, and uh, now U.S. Bank. So I just think that you look at these two teams, and you look at the makeup of the two teams, and what this game means, because most likely this division is going to either be won by the Vikings or the Packers, and it's kind of been that way for the last decade or so. Hey Rich, how did? How difficult is it uh, potentially uh, to try and play through a sprained knee as Aaron is probably going to? And how uh, how surprised and or shocked would you be if Sunday's Vikings-Packer game starts and it's actually Deshaun Kaiser at quarterback and not Aaron Rodgers? I'd be very surprised if it's not Aaron Rodgers based on the fact that he was able to finish the game uh, against the Bears uh, on Monday night. So, or I'm sorry, on Sunday night. So, you know, I anticipate that you know that's what we're going to see. Um, 
you know, I look at how he played. It was really incredible. I mean, so much of what Aaron Rodgers does is from the waist down, his, his ability to use his legs and escape pressure and extend plays and all this non-rhythm throws. So, you know, that could be a huge advantage for the Vikings if he does play and doesn't have the mobility. Because that's, again, he's, he's a great player, but a lot of the big plays come off of the movement. And if you can keep him in the pocket and force him to function as a pocket passer, I think that really increases your chances of having success against that offense. Rich, I've got a Kirk Cousins question for you. I'm sure you're surprised by that. Um, but something that we're talking about with Kirk Cousins a lot and looking through what he did in Washington and then this week is situational football. I mean, it's pretty clear that Cousins is going to play in a lot of close games this year with how tough the schedule is, the, the different quarterbacks he's going to be going up against. When I say that, situational football, as a quarterback, what do you think of right away, and how do you get good at situational football? Well, situational football is everything. I mean, you know, you, you think about you have different rooms in your house, living room, dining room, kitchen, you do different things in those areas, and the same thing in situational football. I mean, to be a really good red zone team, what happens, the field shrinks down in that part of the field. Things happen quicker. You have to get the ball up and down quicker. You know, two-minute offense. Uh, third down is a completely different animal in, in the National Football League. All these defensive coordinators spend all their time on Tuesday night, Wednesday, really game planning and scheming, trying to find ways to get up the field on third down and to bring pressures and some different looks. And so it's really the, you know, you look at the best quarterbacks in the league. It's not just the guys with the great arm talent or the escape ability, but it's also the thinkers, the smart guys. You know, you think about Rodgers and, and, uh, obviously Brady and, 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 uh, Breeze and those type of players. And I think Kirk Cousins is, is very cerebral as well. He's a smart guy. You're not going to fool him. His preparation is, is fantastic. And I think he sees throws. I think he's, Rarely fooled by something that defense will do. I think he knows where his quick answer throws are. He knows how to get out of bad situations. And so to me, it's a big reason why this guy has, has succeeded in our league. It's not because he's going to overwhelm you with his arm talent or his athleticism. He's just a smart player who makes good decisions in critical situations. Rich, when you were playing and you got into the fourth quarter of a big game, big situation, how did you keep yourself from letting it get too big for you? Because, you know, Kirk is going into Lambeau Field, and this is going to be hyped up, and there's expectations all over, and all those things. There's all this outside noise. When you're in those big spots, how did you maintain that tunnel vision? Well, I think there's two types of quarterbacks. I think there's those that feel pressure and those that apply pressure. And I certainly think Kirk Cousins is one of the ones that applies it. And he's not going to – doesn't matter where the game's being played. doesn't matter what's at stake. I mean, this guy's been in enough big games. Um, he's got that big game confidence and mentality. I think the players really, that you know, just in studying his career going back to when he was picked by the Redskins and had a watch and wait behind RG3, uh, the players really respect him. You know what I mean? I think, and, and he's, he's got that, that swag and the confidence that players really feed off of. And so I think in critical situations, fourth quarter, those type of things, um, I anticipate that he'll play some of his best football. So, Rich, if you're the Vikings defense and you're Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, Sheldon Richardson, uh, Linval Joseph, and you know you're going in, up into this matchup with Aaron Rodgers and he's got the knee situation, and we already know that there has been a rule put in place to try and keep quarterbacks as healthy as possible, especially ones of the caliber of Aaron, how, if you're a defensive lineman or 
Anthony Barr, let's say, and you're trying to get to Aaron Rodgers, how do you handle a situation where you you're trying to sack him and you're trying to bring him down, but you also don't want to get a 15 yard penalty that's going to potentially uh, extend a drive if you stop them on third down or something like that? If you're a defensive player, if you're one of those guys, how do you handle that? Well, first of all, you can't be thinking about the consequences of a penalty or something. You just got to go play and cut it loose. These guys have been trained how to tackle. I think the key with Aaron Rodgers, guys, is you got to be able to set the edge. In other words, you got to be able to be able to rush up the field. I think the interior push has to be. You'd be disciplined with your rush lanes. He, he's looking. A lot of times you watch him. He's looking for a crease. And he'll hold the ball on purpose, knowing that he can slide through the A gap or the B gap and get outside and, and, and hold the ball and, and allow the receivers time to get open. He does that as well as any quarterback in the game. So you've got to really set the edge, force him to step up inside, and then be disciplined with your rush lanes and your eyes. And I think sometimes, you know, when you think about rushing Rodgers, like I think you make a mistake if you rush just three or four. I think you've got to rush five a lot of times because, you know, that that extra rush here really limits his ability to escape, and that's that to me is important. And just keeping him in the pocket and not letting him get outside, because once he gets outside contained, you're in trouble. Did you ever play? This is this is Rich Gannon, by the way, is is with us here, and he'll be a weekly guest on the Mackie and Judd show throughout the season. We went down two or three different uh, internet rabbit holes on the show earlier, and and Matthew <laughs> Collar uh, watched the entire Christian Okoye football life episode last night. Did you? You didn't cross paths with him in Kansas City, right? You got there a no, couple I years followed, after. I followed him, but I, but I, I'm very aware of his whole story, and not only that, but the type of runner he was. I mean, you guys know that he 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 had some real neck issues because I mean he was. I always called Okoye was like the chiropractor. He was a team <laughs> chiropractor. If you're like a linebacker or safety, you need your back or neck adjusted, then just just try and tackle this guy because honestly, he. He busted a lot of people up. He was a he was a one man wrecking crew. That is one thing in football because now r- running backs are so different. Now running backs, the it's not the smaller that you are, but you got to be a certain a certain shiftiness and versatility. We don't have those Nigerian nightmare bruisers with <laughs> eight, like his shoulder pads alone were the size of an Earl airplane. Campbell, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the game's changed. You know, it's 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 become a passing league. We spread people out now. We want backs that can be three down backs, backs that can play in the passing game. It's it's really important, um, and you know that's that's a big part of it. But um, yeah, there's not as many of those type of players, even in the college game. The college games become all the spread offense and and no huddle, and so the game's changed quite a bit. Hey, Rich, what what's the biggest change from the game uh, back in your day to now that that you don't like? I don't know. I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about protecting the quarterback and those things. If you think about it, over the last decade, the majority of the rule changes have been to promote player safety. And I think, of course, the, the, the rule change that we have this year, uh, taking the, you know, the, the helmet out of the game, and uh, that to me is probably the most significant rule change that we've ever had. And I've been around the NFL for 30 years as a player, as a broadcaster. I, I just think that's important. I mean, Look what happened to Ryan Shazier last year. Um, you know, when you lower your head and you have that flat back with the spine, that the increase of concussions and neck injuries goes up significantly. So, to me, um, you know, I think the biggest the biggest changes have been the, the, the best changes. You know, taking the hits out of defenseless players and 
the chop blocks and those type of things because look you know it's a, it's a short career as it is and there's no reason for these players to be knocking each other out um and you still it's a violent game it's always gonna be a physical game but let's be smart about how we go about officiating it yeah football that was a good good football session there with rich gannon thanks rich we'll catch up next week see you rich Sounds good, guys. Thanks. All right. Rich Gannon, uh, MVP Man. in 2002. Rushing say. lanes, yep. situational football, gap assignment. Yeah, we're about to find out, huh? Football! Football! Yeah! Football! Yeah! Football! Yeah! Yeah! We're about to find out a lot about number eight in white on Sunday, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. some people take the game to I you mean, and some people have the game taken to them. Let's I, find out. I think that as far as an early test for how he's really going to handle the pressure and the expectations, that this is it. You know, I mean, this this is a great test. For the most football place that you can possibly go and play football. Exactly. Yeah. And against a team that has an improved defense with a clever defensive coordinator and much more mm-hmm. talent and going up against a, a guy who is a football immortal. Mackie and Judd are back. Please. Continue on 1500 ESPN. Hey, folks, we've got Minnesota United soccer coming up here at the uh, top of the hour, six o'clock. Be sure to join Brian Pyatt for the uh, pregame show, and then Dan Terhar will take over at 6 30 for the play by play action as United takes on DC United. Uh, that's coming up at six o'clock after we're done here with Mackie and Judd. Thank you, Manny. We got Matthew Collar hanging out. Like uh, like Manny said, Minnesota United pregame in 25 minutes. And we'll wrap with Royce in about 12 or 15 minutes here to uh, end the show. A great throwback for, uh, for you tonight, Phil Mackey. At Target Field, it's dollar dog night, and the Twins are playing the Yankees. Oh, can we get Chuck Knobloch back Which, to commemorate? I to was stand there, in left field. I was the, there, baby. Oh, my God. They were throwing batteries and hot dogs at him. This is a, a championship event. Now quit this. <laughs> That's one of the, there. If you Collard, don't you, stop throwing things onto the field, the Twins will be forced to forfeit the game to the Yankees. Now quit this. Oh, my gosh. Kyler, do you have any recollection of the Twins-Yankees? Was it 2001 in the Metrodome, right? Yeah, approximately. And they almost had to stop the game. Well, they did stop the game. They almost <laughs> had to cancel the game because fans were so mad at Chuck Knobloch in a Yankees uniform that they were throwing dollar <laughs> hot dogs and batteries I at him. I think TK gets... Was Nobby, was he playing in left field yes. at the time? Yes. Yeah, because yeah. he couldn't I think throw. TK went out there and put his arm around him, I he think, did. didn't he? Yeah. And to I, wave to the crowd to say, it's okay, we're yes. f- like, he's fine. I, I <laughs> think, the if I'm not mistaken, didn't the Yankees get pulled off the field briefly as well? I think so. And TK went out there and put his arm around Chuck. But Chuck, and, and if Chuck oh had only gosh. been able to throw the damn baseball from second to first, if you guys recall, that was around the time that Oberman's mother went to a Yankees yeah. game in Yankee Stadium and Knobloch launched a throw that hit her in the face. <laughs> God rest her oh, soul now. Man. But he hit her in the face because oh he could gosh. because the Yankees yeah, had the yips. they had two guys. Steve Sack, same thing. Yeah. yeah. Two second basemen who got the yips and for the life of them could not make the throw from second to first. So the they moved Knobloch to left field, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it was that's easier was for him getting... to throw it as far as he could than to try yeah. and, you know, aim the ball. 90 feet. It so, just cracks me up that Twins fans were like mad at Chuck Knobloch for leaving and signing with the Yankees. Like it's Chuck it was Knobloch. a trade. Too. It was a good trade. It was a, yeah, trade. It was a trade, yeah. yeah. I will always have respect for Chuck Knobloch, though I've heard he isn't the greatest mm. guy of all time and also <laughs> used PEDs, I believe, uh, but for his batting stance. Because oh, now yeah. we don't see any guys with awesome batting stances. And my first at-bat ever of junior high baseball as a seventh grader, I came out and did... Chuck Knobloch's batting stance. 
Did you do it strategically, or did you do it as batting stance guy to just try and emulate a cool batting stance? Uh, no, for the whole for the whole first at bat, I did it, and throughout that entire season and my entire junior high baseball career, seventh and eighth grade, I routinely picked a different MLB player yeah. to go out and emulate their batting stance because. See, why not? This is the problem with AAU basketball and with all these year-round baseball camps. You don't get the homemade broken jumpers <laughs> like Anthony Mason and Joakim Noah. Sean Marion. Yeah, Sean Marion. You don't get... But batting you, stances were at one time the absolute best. No, but yeah. that's why they... That like, was the like, mother load you don't yeah. see of that. creative. You don't see Mickey Tettleton dangling the bat in the late Gar- 80s Gary, or 90s. Gary Sheffield with the violent sort of uh, waving of the bat. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's because they iron that stuff out of you when you're 13 years old and they take away your sports personality. Who remember, the- remember Julio Franco? Who, I mean, oh, yeah. if you're listening, you can't see it, but Julio Franco was like... That dude played his, until he was above 50 his head years and old, twisting too. his body. Yeah. Who was uh, we? We asked. I think Collar and I actually took this conversation to Jason Stark about a month and a half ago. And who is the guy for the Phillies now? I think Mikel Franco. Is that correct? Yeah. He said that's about the. There's like five decent stances left, mm-hmm. and everybody else is a cookie cutter, boring stance. So I went to the Twins game with my parents when Oakland was in town, and when Chris Davis took the plate, uh, you know, stepped up to the plate. I was mad at him because he just stands there. Like, he just, <laughs> there is, I mean, it's just a guy standing there with a bat. And it's like, come on, like, this is, you've got 40 homers. Matt's, like, Matt Stairs is, was another one like that, too, where he just went up and just kind of stood there. But, but Jay Buhner did the same thing. Yep. But, but Matt Stairs <laughs> also had, like, a particular swag to him that was fantastic, though. Because I mean, he was fat. But, but that was the thing is that, like, there used to be some guys who would kind of stand there, and it would almost, like, stand out in itself. But now everybody, like all the star players, they just stand there. Some guys are like slightly open. And like mm-hmm. who who are kids supposed to copy as their batting stance guy? I mean, now Mike you know, Trout, what's he? They have no Chuck Knobloch. Right. Chuck Knobloch, the other thing about him that I remember as a kid is the way Bob Casey would introduce him and Kirby Puckett. Oh, yeah. Chuck Knobloch. Oh, that case was unbelievable. He was so great. And then the Kirby Puckett, he just held on, right? It was Kirby! Yeah. Until he ran out of gas oh, and passed out. The and then he came to and finished And the no smoking. Puckett. The no smoking. No smoking in the Metrodome. Yeah. So were, pe- were people ever allowed to smoke in the Metrodome? I don't think so. I mean, it opened in 82... And I don't remember people. Now, maybe in the concourses. When, when I was a kid growing up, oh going, God, going to North so Star gross. Games at Met Center, <laughs> between periods, you could go out and smoke in the concourse. And I know when that, when that arena opened, you, you could smoke in your seat. God, and at Met wow. Stadium, which, of course, was outdoors, you, you also could smoke at your seat. But I want to say the Metrodome, at the very best, if you were a smoker, might have had a period where, where you could smoke in the concourse, but not at your seat. Because if you could smoke in your seats and you imagine you know, that? And the half haze? The people, yeah, exactly. You would lose fly balls in the <laughs> smoke haze. God bless wow. that stadium. A lot yeah. of great games there, but man, it was a pile. I feel like there's not that many, even, even sports stadiums and arenas, they're all... They're all there's kind so of the much, same. There's so much money put into them. And there are some pers- there's personality in baseball stadiums, but... You don't get these. You don't get these environments where you might get a battery thrown at your head, like in the Metrodome. I guess you get it at the Oakland Coliseum Oakland. for Raiders games. Oakland's left, but you yep. don't. You know, even 
The new Yankee Stadium, it's it's a bunch of corporate seating down low. There's no personality left. In some ways, though, I think that the modern baseball stadium is why baseball still succeeds because it's clearly on television not that great of a product overall and has been surpassed by many other things at this point. And, you know, local fans watch their local team, especially if they're good, but if they're not good, they won't. Um, and But the national games do nothing anymore. The World Series doesn't do a whole heck of a lot anymore. Uh, but the attendances seem to still be really strong. When you go to games, now the Twins have lost quite a bit because of how poor the product has been this year. But for the most part, people go, I think, just because the stadiums are so awesome yes. that well, you can hang out and eat some good food. They're great sports bars now. Target Field is its too expensive, but it is the best sports bar in Minneapolis, it's such, and it's not close. It's such a cool sports bar that you're willing to pay about $75 for a couple snacks and two beers, right? At Fenway Park, when, when we went to the three-game series there in June, what amazed me, it shouldn't have, but it did, how many people in Boston sit in their seats and actually watch the ball game? Like Target Field, they'll announce 27,000, and there's they might be slightly inflated, but for the most part, there's a lot of people there. Nobody's in their seats. You know, though, don't give Red Sox fans too much credit because if they had a Target Field in Boston, those fans would be getting hammered over at the you well, know, mini. They're still getting drunk whatever. in their seats. They're just they're just <laughs> sitting there getting drunk. The, the one thing about Fenway Park that I feel like I just missed a little bit was when it had that pure baseball love like from the people of Boston, because when I went there, it was kind of like, yeah, this is weird. I don't hear too many Boston accents. I, you sound like you're from the South or you sound like you're from somewhere else. You know, it, it kind of almost became a tourist attraction after they won the World Series. I really wish I got to go there when it was just like greasy, just like the 70s, even though they were competitive, just like, like Wrigley was. Yeah, before before they had the big video board and before they put <laughs> up every, you know, those seats above the wall, which I thought was just wrong. And I still think that that's wrong. Like to have seats above the wall, like it makes it look like a real state. I was, you want it to look like a trash heap, which is kind of like what it looked before. You know how they have those screens built in now on airplanes and in everyone's seats? There's a woman in front of me on my flight back from Phoenix hanging out with my dad this weekend. She was watching Fever Pitch front to back. <laughs> like, First of all, the fact that Fever Pitch is even a movie option on a plane is amazing. And she was all in on Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. It was a cute movie. I actually liked they it. They had to redo the ending. I liked it. Yeah, they did. Which, after all those years, they picked, they picked the bleeping year the Red Sox actually finally yeah. break the the uh, curse of the Bambino. There is a movie called Game Six that I think is the best. It's um, now I can't remember the guy. The guy who played the movie Birdman that won like Best Picture. Who was the guy? Michael that, Keaton. Michael Keaton. It was this sort of like underground type of movie that I stumbled across because my grocery store used to have a video section. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like game yeah. six? And so I took it home and I watched it. And it was actually really good about this guy who's a Red Sox fan living in New York. And he's like a playwright, but he's kind of failing in his career. And he thinks if the Red Sox win the World <laughs> Series, that it'll be like that it'll solve all of his problems. It's actually a great movie. Someday we will explain to the youth that it was very normal to go to the grocery store <laughs> and see yes, and yes. see ta- and see videotapes of movies, which we could also get with the grapes and pop that we picked this up. This won't resonate with the room, but the movie that I rented, well, that my parents rented the most for me as a kid from grocery stores was WrestleMania Six: <laughs> Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that says a lot. No, that says yeah. a lot about you. Uh, we'll wrap with Royce when we come back. Find Matthew Collar on 1500 ESPN and the Purple podcast. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. 
1500 ESPN. All right, Mackie and Judd, let's bring in our friend. His name is Patrick, and he wants to talk baseball. Well, here's the deal. I heard Manny and Judd talking today about the uh, the uh, the tribute that was paid to Joe, Joe's uh, Grand Slam home run, and it certainly was an impressive blow. But uh, the suggestion from Dick and even uh, Justin that there's more in the tank. But Dick, more that like we've seen this before. You know, we we're we're used to seeing this, right? So I thought I'd look it up and when I got free time here. Now, in his final year at the Metrodome, Joe had his biggest season, of course, his MVP season, hit 16 home runs and 245 at-bats. Uh, in what is now the ninth year of Target Field, he has had 2,124 at-bats, and he has 32 home runs. Hmm, that's not very many. No, and he has eleven of those with runners in scoring position. I mean, with runners on base, uh-huh. uh, twenty-one solos. And I, I'm never one to sneeze at solos, but I, I got the same impression, Chad, <laughs> that you did. That Dick was talking about. Oh man, just hopefully he'll come back because he's been. We've seen this so many times before. Not exactly. Well, and I, I you just, know what else surprised me at all in in nine years he's never hit two home runs in a game in Target Field. Really? See, yeah. I just thought to, to myself, well, it's fine to enjoy it, and it was yeah. a nice home run, and I had no problem. But of all of the things affecting the Twins potentially for 2019, the la- now if Joe retires, it's a story. I'm not saying that. But if Joe decides that he's done or not done, that's really not going to affect you much for 2019. Well, so that I was my. I guess what got me worked up was Dick saying, oh, we've seen this so many times before. It is funny. Yeah, not that often. <laughs> I'm careful. I'm careful to rip uh, Bramer. He's known to block people. Oh, oh, I know. That's true. And I talked to him the other day. And fine, I'm not ripping him. But, I, you know, it, it's hard to romanticize uh, uh, the la- about seven of the nine years in uh, the uh, – the new ballpark have not been kind to Joe. At least, you know, six or seven of the nine years haven't been terribly kind to him. So, anyway, I I uh, thought I'd... I was alarmed it's only 32. I mean, Josh Willingham has twice as many home runs <laughs> in target field as, uh, wow. as uh, our guy does. So, anyway. Patrick, when uh, Patrick, when you called me, you you asked me if the Twins were using an opener tonight, and I and I suggested that uh, not really, but kind of, because Jake Odorizzi is on the mound. Oh, so yeah, he'll be out. We figure he'll probably only go about five and three or four innings. Yeah, five and <laughs> yeah. a third. Right. I have been. Uh, I have now started referring to it as we'll settle for an Odorizzi, which is uh, five and a third, one hundred and ten pitches, and two hours fifteen minutes, something like that. Yeah. Get you to the sixth. Get you to the sixth in about two ten. Boy, there was some distressing stuff in baseball last night, fellas. An eight pitcher shutout and uh, a, a doubleheader in which we saw twenty eight pitchers yesterday. Yeah, how, how does it make you feel that even the Paul Molitors of the world are openly discussing <laughs> I, concepts like the opener? Oh yeah, that uh, upset me immensely. Yeah, I got I, it, it. It put me. It really put me off this morning when I saw Paul Molitor because I know he's lying. I know he thinks it's stupid. <laughs> I know. How he's do you? Lying. How do you know? What if? What if? What if he has access to information and teams have smart people, and he has yeah. changed his ways of thinking? Yeah. Well, that even if it works, it's ruining the game. 
You take the starting pitchers. You start using six, seven relief pitchers to play a baseball game. It might as well be American Legion. You're ruining the game of baseball. So, Pat, here's what now. Now, we accepted this for a long, long time, but I think it's time for the uh, Player Association and uh, the league to sit down and get rid of the 40-man roster in September. Because... Why we don't need we don't need it. It alters things, and to what you're just talking about now, it is the ultimate temptation to run eight or nine pitchers out there and think that's fine to do. Is, is that you singing in the background? Or are we done here, boys? I'll uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I think no. no, no. What's that music? I don't know. What is that? Oh, I can hear it too. I have no idea. It's not us. Like we're I got not playing. Music. It. Are you sure it's not got- just? It's not just the opener bells ringing in your head right now, Pat. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I'm uh, Pat's going I, insane I my, live on the radio right now. Actually, no, I, 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 I can hear it too. He he might. I got be. my phone fixed today. Maybe no. They, uh, <laughs> maybe they're starting to play music. Is it? it, is it I, are you still hearing it, Pat? Yes. Yes. I can hear it too. Let's turn it up. Do we have the capability of turning it up? Where's I'm, it from? I'm not hearing anything. I'm not either. <laughs> I and Manny are the I only sane ones in the room. I can <laughs> hear it. No, I'm not hearing anything. Yes. All right. Well, it's, Pat, we'll we'll try and make the music louder tomorrow for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, forty man roster. Get rid of him. Okay. Goodbye. See you. <laughs> what? <laughs> what was? What did you just do there? <laughs> I told him forty. I can hear the music. I can hear it. I'm not hearing it's anything. It's a faint. It's a faint. You might think that it's the start of us being played out. It's that long, but it's a, it, it would be the start. I was just trying to harp on the fact that I think it's time for the forty-man roster to be gone. Just stupid. It'd be like giving the Patriots eighty-man rosters in December. Why you wouldn't do that? Well, no one uses forty because some of those guys. No, are but I'm saying you don't. A. You don't need to do to do it now. Don't do it. Keep it twenty five. Like you don't need to have teams be able to bring up more guys, or maybe maybe expand it to twenty seven or something, just to like give 30, you a couple at the extras. most like thirty maybe. Well, what's the? I, I mean, uh, is is there a team using almost forty? I don't guys know, right but now? there's teams, but there's now teams parading pitchers. I mean, because the, Pat's right, you, you get games again now with eight or nine pitchers. It's ridiculous. I love the Pat thinks Paul Molitor is is like being held at gunpoint by the Twins <laughs> analytics department. I am very happy with what's going on here. I love I'm not, Ro- I'm not in jeopardy or danger of, of losing my job. I love Cole Stork. I love running my eighth best reliever out into the first inning as a sacrificial lamb to give up four you runs. Just see a shadowy figure, Derek <laughs> Falvey, to his right. You can't quite make it out. Honest to God, though, tonight, guys, can Jake Odorizzi give them six innings? No. I mean, is, uh, the, is it really no. that hard? Yes. I'm going to help you here. As a guy who I live and die by the <laughs> twins sometimes. Couldn't care less at this point in the twin season. <laughs> I just want to see if he can go six. Poor, just what, go six what day of the week is it? Is it it's Wednesday? Wednesday? Wednesday. I'm sure there's other things on. Go go pour a nice large cocktail and watch something else. I'm going to the yard. Wow. I'm Listen right to, to Minnesota yard, United. We've got exactly. The, we've got the loons taking on DC United coming up in Hold just a on couple a second, minutes. Here. Two. We're talking about the first potential for a twins back to back win against the Bronx Bombers since 2013, I told you. This is history. And it's, I'm you know, going to see history against it's Luis be, Severino. It's going to be just as meaningful tonight as it was in 2013. I think if Jake Odorizzi goes six innings tonight, that'll be history. <laughs>
can we can there can we have a uh, can we have a celebration? There's music. I hear music again. Oh, I hear music. I'm cracking up. We're Minnesota United pregame oh, in DC tonight. When we uh, return tomorrow, we will have plenty more football things to discuss. I am sure. Mackie and Judd on demand at 1500ESPN.com.